Hi there, everyone. My name is Misty Denman. I'm so glad to get to be here with you this morning. West Campus was my home for many years and um, just glad to get to join you and be here. Friday, July 1st of last summer was one of those notoriously hot, dry days. It was 90 degrees at seven o'clock in the morning. I was reading through all of the book of James on my back porch before it got too hot to be outside, preparing for a meeting later in the morning when the Women in the Word teaching team would get our assignments for the semester, figure out uh, what we would be teaching, what chapters and verses, and talk all about it. Well, as I read through the whole book that morning, I got to James chapter three and I literally groaned out loud because I knew out of the whole book once I got there that my words were the place that I struggled with the most. And I know how the word works in my life. He knows that I don't always confront my own sin unless he makes me. And so I literally, I think said out loud, are you really gonna make me teach this? And You know the answer to that because I'm standing up here with James 3 open in front of me today. Um, I got this teaching assignment, discovered that yes, the Lord did have plans for me that included hours and hours of studying and reflection and confession and thinking and praying about the words that come out of my own mouth. So if your toes have been stepped on this week a little bit as we've studied this passage, I don't feel sorry for you. My toes have been stepped on since July 1st. I have been dealing with this for a long time and it's been good and fruitful and also painful a lot of the time as well. But God's good to us. He knows us. He knows me. He sovereignly directed James to write these words on this page with a lot of directness. He doesn't pull any punches here. There's also these great, really vivid word pictures, I think, that give us beyond any doubt the idea that one of the major marks in the life of a believer of God's people is that we would have well-controlled tongues, that we, as his people, will be just uniquely noticeably set apart from those around us, from the world, because we use our words to honor God. We use our words to do good to those around us. You know, in another lesson, I might spend a few minutes now before we get to the scripture passages, sort of laying out why it's important to study um, that passage, why it's relevant, why it's important. I really don't think I need to do that today. I think we all walked through these doors with a really intuitive um, understanding of the deep importance of our words. I think every single one of us can think of a time in our lives where we have been wounded by the wrong words, can probably Um, recite verbatim things that were said to us maybe even years ago that cut us deep. We don't want to be women who either intentionally or accidentally wound others in the same way. On the other hand, I hope we also can all think of times when there have been words that have been spoken to us with love and hope that gave us life and encouragement words that were chosen by others and were gifts from God and were good to us, um, those are the words that we wanna be known for. So if you're not already there, open your Bibles with me to James chapter three. We're gonna begin reading in verse one. Let's learn about what God has to say about our words under his control. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. 
And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Our words hold enormous power in our lives. And here we learn that our words hold enormous power to guide, to guide our own lives and the lives of those around us. Now you notice right off the bat, James singles out those who wanted to be teachers in the early church, these men and women who were using their words to guide others. And you'll remember that his original audience were these newly converted Jewish uh, Christians. And I'm sure they were super excited about their faith. They all had lots of things that they wanted to share or get together and talk about as much as possible. But also they're coming out of this traditional Jewish culture in which their rabbis or teachers were held in very high regard or esteem. So it could be that this warning is that um, James is warning those who were hungry for the respect and the status that teaching brought it, but who weren't either gifted or called by God to be teachers, or perhaps some of them were called by God to be teachers, but didn't yet have the um, maturity or the um, knowledge yet. They were too young in their faith to be ready for it. Teachings, teaching God's word always has and always will carry with it deep responsibility. Look at what James uh, or what Jesus tells us in Luke twelve forty eight on your verse sheet. He says that to everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And for him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Teachers have influence, and with increased influence comes increased responsibility. In other words, if you are given a platform, any platform from which to influence others, the Lord will hold you accountable for how you use that privilege. And we are all called to reach out to others with the good news of the gospel. So take James' warning very seriously here. Be serious about handling God's word carefully in any setting, whether it's your home or your car or a children's ministry classroom or social media or at the grocery store, wherever that is, um, and in your workplace. But also don't let fear stop you from following God's call to take the gospel with you wherever you go. Just be sure you have your facts right and be sure you have your heart right as you do that. And if you're wondering if this verse about teachers gives me pause and keeps me up at night, the answer is yes. And we'll move on. James goes on, I think, to utter one of the most blunt summaries of the human condition in all of scriptures. He says, we all stumble, meaning sin, in many ways. And I thought, yes, we do. More specifically, he notes that we all sin a lot with our words. And his point here is just to remind us that we are all deeply prone to the wrong use of our words. And I appreciate very much how James includes himself both here and other places in the book as well. He says we often. I appreciate that he takes his own human frailty and sinfulness into account. I think he's both, he's a very humble man. 
Uh, he has done that before in the book, saying we all stumble in many ways. His humility, I think, is a model for us um, all the time, but especially as we take a real close look at our own words and do some self-assessment that this uh, passage calls for. So James here points these two real vivid word pictures that help us understand that the sins of our tongue are no small matter. Instead, he says, like the ship's rudder and a horse's bit, our words might seem small and insignificant, but honestly, they have the power to steer the course of our lives, the lives of people around us toward good or toward destruction. I wanna look again just at verse at his illustration there. He says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Okay, I have very minimal experience with horses. I know um, a number of you know far more than I do, but my granddad was a cattle rancher. And when um, I spent some time with him when I was young, I remember some times when he would take me with him to kind of check on the cows in the pasture. And one of the times he, a few times actually, he would put me on um, on a horse with him. And what I remember from those times is one, how very beautiful horses are up close. I love animals Um, and how surprisingly large and powerful they are when you get close to them. I have a feeling I'd feel the same way now, but especially as a little girl, they just seemed so big to me. When a horse's strength and intelligence are harnessed, they can, as we all know, be great help to people in many, many ways. For centuries, people have used a bit, which is this small bar that fits inside of a horse's mouth. It's attached to a bridle and reins, and that controls um, a horse. It can also be used to tame a horse. It would control both the direction that a horse would move in and the speed with which it moves. Uh, Here's a picture of a beautiful, do you just see the power and the beauty of that horse? You can see the muscles, you can see the strength in it. And then you can see the picture of the bit. You can't see the bar, but you can see where it's attached here and how small that is in comparison to that. I just just think that's a gorgeous picture. It's not intuitive, I think, to think that that small bit just in the the mouth of that horse would be able to so thoroughly control that animal, and yet it does. In the same way, our tongues are this really physically small part of our bodies, and yet they steer the course of our lives. The things we say, how we say them, to whom we say them, literally affect every part of our lives and the lives of the people around us. And therefore, we must use our words wisely. They're just too powerful to be left uncontrolled. So when my granddad would take me out to check on cattle with him, he put me on that horse. I have no doubt in my mind that he chose the um, sweetest, tamest, gentlest, most obedient horse that he owned that he trusted completely. I wanted my granddad, I remember this too, to think I was um, very brave and bold and fearless and worthy of 
him, you know, taking me out there with him. But when he put me up on that horse, all I could think of was um, how really, really big it was and how far off the ground I was and how hard packed that West Texas pasture was under me and how hard it was going to hurt if I fell off and how easy it would be for that horse to take off running. And either I couldn't hold on or it would buck me off and there's prickly pear everywhere. And I just kept picturing myself being thrown off into that prickly pear there and how much it was going to hurt. And I just felt completely at the mercy of that animal. And I was scared and I could not control my fear. We should have a healthy fear of the damage that our words can cause because if we fail to harness them, if we fail to rein them in, to control what comes out of our mouths, we will hurt and wound the people around us. Now, when a skillful rider takes the saddle, she knows just when to hold those reins loosely. She knows when to pull back so that the horse will slow down. She knows when to turn. She knows when to go straight. She knows when to stop that horse in its tracks, and she knows when to urge it on. All of those things are important. That's a picture of skilled horsemanship. When we know when to pull back on unkind or unnecessary and true words, when we know when to steer clear of conversations that are unhelpful, when we know when to speak up in truth, even when it's scary, when a situation calls for soft words, when it calls for forceful words, that is wise living, that is living wisdom, and it's what the Lord is calling us to do. Listen to the words of King David on your verse sheet, Psalm 39, 1. David says, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. Now he says this is a declaration. I think it could very much be a prayer in our own lives. There's also another word picture that James uses to point out um, this emphasis again. He says like a small bit that controls a great horse. So a rudder is a really small part of a ship and yet it completely controls the direction that that ship moves in. Again, he's very um, forcefully driving home this point that um, words guide our lives either along safe and appropriate passages or toward a course of destruction. Here's a picture of an enormous cargo ship. I cannot imagine how many tons that ship itself weighs, how many tons are being carried on that ship. And then you can see the picture of the rudder, which by comparison is such a small um, piece of equipment. And yet it steers that whole ship toward its destination. And if you think about that ship on an open sea without that rudder, it would drift wherever the wind took it, wherever the sea currents took it. It could be aimless. Worse yet, it could um, go into complete destruction in a storm with waves that could overtake it, knock it over. Um, It could be, we've all heard about ships that ran onto rocks and broke apart. Um, There could be great destruction there without that rudder doing what it's meant to do to both um, the cargo, which we need, um, and the lives that are on that ship too. That ship needs the rudder, and that ship needs to be um, under the control of of well-steered um, of a well-steered rudder. So these two illustrations have some really important things in common. First, there's no denying the potential of both a horse and a ship to be super 
super helpful and good tools in the hands of um, someone who knows what they're doing. God gives us these things for our benefit. A well-trained horse can carry people much further distances than they could otherwise go. It can pull heavy loads. It can herd unruly cattle. It can be just a great benefit and tool and help to a person. A ship that stays on course can take people and vital cargo um, where across water that would be otherwise impossible to cross. But a wild and uncontrolled horse can buck little girls into cactus or honestly do far worse damage than that. To be used for the good that it's intended for, that God made it for, a horse needs that skillful handler who knows how to adjust her touch, who knows how to steer the animal in the way it should go. A ship can be a dangerous, destructive thing without a skillful captain to adjust the rudder and the way it should go. Sometimes those are big adjustments. Sometimes they're small, but they always um, need to be under control. That skillful Ship's captain, that skillful horsewoman, aren't born that way. It's learned, right? They learn their craft with intention and over time. Hopefully they never stop learning new things and continue to get better at their craft as long as they do it. We are never going to be able to control our words and to really consistently use them skillfully and lovingly in our own strength. I don't think we're born knowing how to do that. Like most other things in our faith, we, we can probably pull it off for a little while. We can control our tongues for a little while, but it won't last long because as James says, we're just too prone to sin. We're too, too prone to forget the good that God intended us to do. Um, too prone to just go our own way. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke six forty five. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we talked about this some in our homework. I want us to keep this in mind all throughout the rest of the today, that what's in our heart will come out of our mouths. So if we want our words to be under control, if we want our words to be used for good, we will have to cultivate hearts that yield to the Lord, hearts that pursue the Lord, hearts that learn the Lord's ways. We can pray like David prays in Psalm 141, three. This was actually a prayer of David's. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. That is the kind of prayer that cultivates a heart that the Lord can use for good. Okay, let's continue reading the second half of verse five here through verse eight, if you wanna follow along with me. James says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So James has really strong language here. He's giving a warning that our words hold enormous power to destroy. 
So another vivid word picture here. This one is this raging out of control fire, like a small spark that ignites a raging fire. Our words can cause devastating damage. Listen to how the message paraphrases these verses. I thought this was so powerful. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go right up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. If that doesn't get our attention, I think we all have a problem. But here's the thing. I know we can all know that this is true. I can think this is true in a really abstract kind of way. We have seen on television um, angry words that start riots. Uh, We have heard or read about um, lying words that send men to prison innocently. Um, We have heard of gossiping words that ruin reputations and all of that is true. But you've probably noticed by now that in our study of the book of James, we're not talking about someone else's sin or turning it on ourselves. And so this is about taking an honest look at ourselves, at our own hearts, our own words, and our everyday lives. And there isn't a single part of our real lives that our words don't touch. And there isn't a time in our life we're going to be totally free from that struggle of the sins of our tongue. And there is no way around the fact that Satan can use our sinful words for tools of his evil purposes. And here's what I mean by that. When we choose words that are lies or mean or hurtful or tear down or would have just better been better left unsaid, those words are out there. And Satan can and does use those, even our words, even God's people to divide, to destroy, to play over and over in our minds again. When I first realized what James was saying here, it sort of took my breath away. I could have told you all day long that that would be true for enemies of God, that Satan could use his their words. But when I thought about it in my own life, it is, as we have been saying almost every week, a gut punch. I cannot stand the thought that something I would say would destroy someone else's hope or dignity or self-esteem. Um, I know you can't either. I can't stand the thought that Satan would use my just careless words that I might not even remember five minutes later as a poison. I think that's one of the reasons James writes this passage with such force here because sometimes, mostly when we're hurt ourselves, I think, Maybe we want to hurt someone else. Uh, Maybe we know we're using our words to do that. Most of the time, I think we do it by accident. I think most of the time we just think before we speak. We think before we pray. Our words, unfortunately, are not like something that spills on the floor that can be mopped up and never seen again. We know once they're out there, they're out there. They can't be taken back. So that's a really serious thought. And what can we do about that? We can know that our own, in our own strength, we are never going to tame our tongue. We can know that it requires the Lord's help and wisdom. So just last week, I was sitting about on my back porch again um, at my computer writing this talk, and um, my phone was over to the side. I heard it ring. I picked it up and I saw the name that was on it. And I knew when I saw that name that I shouldn't answer it. I knew what the conversation would be. And I knew that what I should do is stop writing 
Um, I needed, I, it, it was a conversation that needed to be had. So I needed to stop writing. I needed to pray. I needed to ask the Lord for wisdom. I needed to think through what that conversation was going to be um, like and then call them back. I was in a hurry. Um, I wanted to get it over with. And instead I picked it up. And before that conversation was over, I had a knot in my stomach because I said things I shouldn't have. I said the things that probably in the back of my mind, I knew I was going to say if I didn't stop and ask the Lord for his help. I didn't honor God. I didn't honor the other person. And the truth is the Holy Spirit spoke to me when the phone rang. I heard the Lord say, don't pick the phone up right now. Wait. And I chose poorly. I chose, um, I chose my own way. I regretted it. Before it was even over, I did damage. And I was in the middle of writing this talk about our tongue and controlling our words. And I'm going to tell you, it was not a good afternoon the whole rest of the day, especially when I'd been sharing and um, staring at James 3.1 about teachers um, for the last few weeks. Eventually, I got to the place that afternoon um, when I remembered that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, I confessed my specific sin both that I ignored his prompting to begin with and then for the words that I said, and then I needed to do what I needed to do to make that conversation right. It would have been so much better to have done the right thing in the first place. That phone rang, it was like a tiny spark and the Lord said, blow it out. And I picked up the phone instead and I put a match to that spark and I all went up in flames. And I understood what James was talking about here. Real life, living wisdom looks like being disciplined and intentional about doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, not doing what is wrong. Living wisdom looks like our words under control. Living wisdom looks like a willingness to be on guard and means asking the Lord for help. It means listening to the Lord when he speaks. It means going to the Lord for forgiveness when we blow it. It means looking to the Lord for discernment and the courage and the humility to apologize when we blow it and do what we can to make things right. It means asking the Lord for the discipline to do it better the next time. And it means asking the Lord for wisdom and abundance. Remember what James 1.5 tells us on our verse sheet. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. That is encouragement and that's hopeful and that is a great gift. So do you wanna see how a friend of mine remembers how to do all of this? She wears this bracelet. I don't know if you can see it, but um, how well you can tell it is just a simple beaded bracelet that somebody made for her. And that round disc in the middle there is a button. She knows herself well, and she knows that she tends to be someone who speaks before she thinks. So she was given this this summer, and she has developed this habit, and I have watched her do it a number of times where she'll start to say something, and then she looks down, and she pops that little button bracelet there, and she reminds herself that buttoning her lips is often the best way to go. I think that is genius and brilliant. Figure out your way. Figure out whatever your way is to submit your speech to the Lord and remember what James tells us to think before you speak. Look again at James um, on your verse sheet at James 1, 22. He says, 
Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. I loved how she uh, uses that uh, very physical and visual reminder to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of what she knows to be true. Okay, let's continue and pick back up in verse nine. I'm gonna read verses nine through 12 now. With it, and that's our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, that means us, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? The answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. James again pulls this imagery um, from everyday world to show his audience how unnatural it is for Christ followers to use our words for both good and evil. He says that our words um, can either build up or tear down and they are meant to build up. I really love verse nine because God, uh, James reminds us that how God uniquely and carefully created all of us in his same image. Every single person he created, it speaks of every person's great value and worth. And what do careless words have the power to tear down? They have the power to tell, tear down something that God uniquely and lovingly and personally created. And God's not okay with that. It's not what our mouths were made to do. So he paints again, these three pictures of impossible contrast. Springs were a very common water source in the day of the original audience. Those freshwater springs would be um, life-giving to people, to crops and to animals. There were sometimes also these brackish, dirty, salty um, springs around as well. And if you try to drink from that or feed animals from that or water crops from that, it's all gonna die. It would be polluted. A fig tree, he says, isn't ever going to sprout olives from its branches. Those would have been um, common uh, plants to see in his day. I thought about my tomato plant on my back porch. That tomato plant isn't ever going to go out there and it's going to have lemons on it. It's just not the way God made it. James is telling us that it is just as unnatural for one of God's people to sing praises to him on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday morning or a Thursday morning or wherever you are and then turn around and cut someone down that he created and loves with that same mouth. It is not what he made us for. It's not what he redeemed us for. The world is watching us. The world is listening to us. And we know as plain as day that um, when we talk to somebody, we can tell whether they've had Characters and mouths that have been shaped by the Lord because we can hear it in what they say. We can hear it in the way they say it. I often notice it in the things that people don't say. It's also, we've all met people, it's as plain as day, we've probably all been them at some point that should have been shaped by God's word, should have been shaped by their time in the church body. And yet, their speech does not reflect that. And I think if we ever wanna be successful at reaching the world around us for Christ, and I know we do, hypocrisy in all its forms, and maybe the easiest one to think of is our words, it's going to have to go. If we wanna reach the world for Christ, we will have to be committed to using our words 
for good works, the good works that Paul describes in Ephesians 4.29. Look at this with me. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That is a grid that we can use to evaluate our words. That's a grid that we can give some real thought and time to. Like a cool, clear, freshwater spring, words full of grace and encouragement give life to those who hear them. Okay, so what are some of the things that we can do on a real practical everyday level to watch over our words and to use them honorably and wisely? First, I think as we've talked about some, we really do have to recognize that our words reflect the condition of our hearts. I think it's hard to um, admit that because if we take a real honest evaluation and look at what some of our words are, it reflects some things in our heart that we would rather not be there. Uh, so if we have found words, if you have found words, I have, I know found words in my own life this week that need help. It means we've found places that our heart needs help. And where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. None of this is hopeless. Pursue Jesus so that he can change our hearts. It's what we're here doing now. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep doing that. Spend all the time with them you can. The people we're around are the people that rub off on us. So spend all the time you can with the Lord so that he rubs off on us. Read your Bible. Listen to your Bible on one of those free apps on your phone. Listen to it in your car. Listen to it as you go. Talk to him. Listen to him. Sing songs of praise. Be with like-minded men and women. Be with those people whose words rub off on you um, in a way that honors and glorifies God. Stop. Stop being with the people whose words don't um, rub off on you in the way that don't honor and glorify the Lord. As you're doing that, I would say take some time to really honestly assess your daily speech habits before the Lord. I can tell you that I have been doing that. I can tell you it has been painful, much more than that one conversation on the phone. And I can tell you that I'm really glad that I have. I can also tell you it's going to be an ongoing work the rest of my life. I, I don't doubt that at all. But um, I really resisted at first taking this as seriously as I knew I needed to because it was painful to take that honest look at myself. I'm glad I have. Um, ask the Lord to show you where you fall short. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with wisdom and self-control. Ask the Lord to help you obey when he, you hear from him. He will do that. Finally, commit to using the gift of speech for God's glory alone. I think that Ephesians 4.29 would be a great verse to go back to, commit that to memory. I haven't done that yet, but I think I am going to and use that as a grid by which you um, think through what you say and how you say it. I think when we do those things, we're going to be able to get a lot closer to being able to say with the psalmist these words in Psalm 49.1. For my words are wise and my thoughts are filled with insight. Words are God's idea. 
Well-controlled words under his authority can change the world in more good ways than we can probably imagine. Um, We're going to look at some of those good ways that words change the world next week. We're going to continue to study our tongue um, next week. Instead of James, we're going to take a dive into the book of Proverbs, which has some amazing truths about our tongue. I'm super excited about it. Come back for that. Your questions, your study questions next week will say, um, I think, uh, wise words part two. Um, We will see more of God's heart for our words. The Bible has much to say about it. So I know he thinks it's important and I can't wait for that. Um, Let's pray together. Lord, you were good and you were good to give us um, a strong warning here about something that's so important to your heart. And if it's important to you, Lord, I hope that it's important to us. Would you help us to take um, our words as seriously as you take them? Would you help us to be marked by words of grace and truth and love and mercy and goodness and gratitude? Would you help us to be um, women who are just have a noticeable absence of words that um, hurt and destroy and tear down? Would you, we need you, Lord. Would you just help us? We confess um, that we have areas that we shall fall short in this. Um, would you be our help? Um, would you fill us with your spirit, Lord? I thank you for... Um, for the tough words from you. I thank you for the encouragement. And I thank you that we can do all things um, through you, including obey you in deep and beautiful ways. Um, Lord, I just pray for your hand of grace and uh, mercy and wisdom um, and blessing over each woman who is here today. Um, Lord, we follow you with all our hearts. And I ask all of this in your holy and precious name. Amen.